0: Hello, Deep Thinkers. This is your host, Greta and welcome to Mindful of Everything, the podcast that questions the deeper and bigger things in life, from intersectional environmentalism to self development and everything else in between. Today, I got to talk to amazing Victoria Abrahams, the operations manager and Uganda program leader for Freedom for Girls, a UK based charity that fights period poverty in the UK, Kenya, and Uganda. In this episode, Victoria talks about everything there is to periods, the social stigma around them and lack of education on the female body, which feeds into decreased access to sanitary products for menstruating women and girls that can't afford them. Victoria's journey began when her work as a prison law consultant exposed her to the differences in treatment of men and women in criminal justice systems. And now she helps in advocating in importance of destigmatization of periods as a way to empower females and dismantle a section of patriarchy. Welcome Victoria to the show. I hope you're as excited as I am for this show. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for having us a So I think to start off, it would be great if you could tell the audience how Tina Leslie, who's the founder of Freedom for Girls, came about in starting Freedom for Girls. And how did you end up in getting into the charity?
1: Um, So the short story, the short version of the story is that Tina was working on um, a mother and baby unit project in rural Kenya. This was in 2016, uh, where she noticed that a number of the women and girls who she was working with were unable to support themselves with their periods. Uh, they did have access to products. And then speaking to more local leaders, she realized that it was it was a, a statistic of she said 60% of women and girls were unable to afford or access some kind of menstrual protection mm-hmm. so from there she started to work with um, a grassroots NGO based in Kenya called the Magi Safi project and they started to create the washable reusable pads um, and we worked with them to distribute them across the communities especially for rural women and girls who couldn't have access to as easy access sorry, to the disposable ones available so the that, yeah, that was how the project was born in Kenya um, initially, like I said, four years ago now. Gosh, time really does fly. <laughs> um, and then on returning to the UK, um, same year, Tina, because her day job is in public health, was speaking with a colleague who said, that's an- amazing. Um, but I've been contacted by a teacher who has told us that some of their students are also missing school. Like they're choosing to have their periods at home because they would rather have it in the comfort of you know their bedroom or whatever and not have to worry about any issues um if they were to be at school whether that be on comfort potential leaking and so on because they couldn't afford product sorry Um, so from there she then kind of replicated what we were doing in in Kenya but with um, the support of product providers and other wider partnerships um, across West Yorkshire asking for donations of products and then distributing them across the school so the project really started and that's hence the name Freedom for Girls um, on the basis that young women and girls were really needing that support at an education level because purely because they were getting periods every month, they were deciding either to drop out of school completely, a really big issue in in Kenya where we work, or they were missing those days of school. And if you add that up, five days a, a month every month was becoming a problem for so many girls. Like opportunities were just being missed. Like yeah. not just educational, but the capacities to kind of socialize, feel normal, feel like your life wasn't on hold and so on. So yeah, that was way back in twenty sixteen. In terms of my involvement, I my career path has been really random. I specialised in an area of human rights law when I graduated um, and worked with prisoners. So I was representing men and women in prison custody, following their convention and looking at how they progressed through their sentences. And I quickly began to feel a bit of an interest or like a specific interest in the women's estate and how women and female prisoners are treated differently in the criminal justice systems and um I had a client actually um from a long from way back before teen started this um who had been um she had learning difficulties like and she had an, she was in her 60s serious learning difficulties other mental health problems as well um, and she had been transferred to an open prison where you were allowed to kind of go on day release. so every day um, when you reach that point um in terms of privileges you are able to engage in, the, in community work and she on her return from one of the days that she was volunteering in the community she was asked to trip search and she became very panicked um very worried because she was on her period and so she didn't want to have to go through that oh exactly she didn't want to have to go through the strip st- search with a male officer should I add yeah um, And so refused. From that, the prison governor then did what they call an adjudication, an internal prison disciplinary process, and returned her to a closed prison. But as her sentence was, um, like, for the type of sentence that she was serving, this meant serious detriment on her overall access to liberty and, and her progression. Um, there'd been no disciplinary issues throughout her entire sentence. Like I said, her offending was much around the fact that she had serious learning difficulties and mental health issues, and um, purely because she'd had, so she refused to have the trip search because of her period. And sorry, I completely forgot the main point. She didn't have any products because mm-hmm. she was a prisoner. She didn't have any access to money or access to products. She was only using toilet paper. That's crazy. Cra- absolutely crazy. And, and this, again, like I said, it was way before Tina's time, but it was 2012. So we're not talking like back in the 80s, 90s. Yeah, exactly. Com- yeah, conversations around this kind of mental equity movement were new. It was, you know, we're still very much in like the era of like iPhones and tablets and stuff. like. So this is should not have been happening. And um, that's what really inspired me to then start to work in much more uh, women's sector um, areas. So specifically within the charity sector. And I was working in a project that was purely for women and girls. And. Um, in Leeds when I moved from London to Leeds and then I met Tina through that work so I already had a passion around understanding why women's issues are so far removed um from general conversation why periods for example are so underspoken about they are you know private secret issues that even when you know you look at the things that men of the rest of the wider society look at in terms of their knowledge of periods like for example tv adverts they don't paint the, the the reality of what it is to have a period yeah um and i think that for me the more that we started to kind of delve into the understanding of, of female issues being e- either so hidden and shaming or completely a false reality to to feed into this glamorous idea that women should always be perfect and beautiful and have no no specific sex-based specific issues that for me was what really pushed me into why this work is so important
0: yeah that is that is amazing (laughs) that is a lot of work you've done Uh, you kind of wouldn't really expect you to go from working in prisons to you know a period Mm. poverty charity yeah
1: what really drives us as an organization me as well is that fighting around injustice and inequality so I think like the more that you kind of, I do understand what you're saying, because it's very, very different from being a legal representative, especially with a lot of clients who were men. um, But then moving over to the women's sector, there's a natural progression based on the fact that there's so much inequality that affects us as females. So that was, yeah, that was a decision really.
0: How would you define period poverty? A lot of people know that, for example, people can't afford um, good sanitary products. But they don't really know what the issue is, and not really aware of the extent of the issue. So, how would you define period poverty?
1: So, Freedom for Girls subscribes to the definition that was born from the Plan International report of 2017, which really was a kickstart in the overall movement and what a significant number of the grassroots activists contributed. And we look at it as a three, like a three pronged, three layered approach. And first and foremost, as we've identified the biggest issue that comes to mind is the lack of affordability or the access to products yeah um the second element the definition that we we find is as important in doing the frontline work is poor education around mental health and and menstrual cycles in general so yeah looking at the as an example the uk school curriculum on what is menstruation the only requirement that's allowed sorry that is uh, required um, for girls and boys to learn about in terms of what a period consists of is like a literally a two sentence short little stunt at the end of a page that says that we bleed for three to seven days it's because our um the lining of our uterus breaks down and that's basically it there's nothing else in terms of the, the elements of our cycle uh, what we experience uh, the yeah. differences that can arise from difficult periods and symptoms moving forward from that so yeah the education for us is as important because we also always say like you can give someone a product but if they don't fully understand why they need that that in itself still acts as a barrier to their own progression so education is as important for us and and again the third part is again significantly linked it's about the stigmas and taboos associated with periods the fact that like we mentioned before they're such a shamed issue like something that we're very passionate about and we engage with some campaigns over the summer on, is like the change the needed change in language about a lot of use of period language so the concept that we still call period products sanitary products or mental hygiene and that in itself is again painting a narrative which is not a reality of what periods look like periods are normal they're natural there's nothing to that there's no need to feel like you have to sanitize yourself from them um but meanwhile that's just the way that because as they're female products and their female health care issue that's the way that the beauty industry has marketed them and it just fits in a lot more with the narrative of what uh, male people would like us to <laughs> adhere to yeah
0: this is the main thing i wanted to talk about in this episode is this whole social stigma around periods and even just a female body or exploring your female body Um, We kind of limit these issues in terms of social stigma for the female body to places like Kenya or places that are developing and aren't really able to talk about these things. But people in the UK, just to give myself as an example, I'm probably one of the only one in my friend group that can actually say the word period in public. Everybody else is like, I'm on my monthly or... (laughs) <laughs> They'll say something else and yeah. I find that so weird. Like I've always said period. As soon as I've started, I've always said period. And I don't get why in the UK when everything is really open compared to yeah. developing regions, why mm-hmm. is it that we are ashamed to say something that is so natural and is part of our bodies? Yeah. So a question. Yeah. So how do you help people in the UK get over this stigma that shouldn't be existing anyways? Um, I complete. I love this
1: question because, as an organisation that does practice in areas of East Africa as well as the UK, like we are very, very committed to um, feeding into a narrative that that generalizes like you said all of the stigma issues that are across all of society like wherever there's female health issues there is going to be some stigma attached to that Mm -hmm. or there's going to be some issues in relation to um, negativity or lack of knowledge or lack of empowerment and so on and that is a that is a worldwide issue and we see that like with the examples that you've given so one activity that we actually run across both education programs, UK and East Africa, is um, the, like what you just said about your friends <laughs> that refer to it as like time of the month or like um, flows around or whatever week. So we have this board. This is one example. We have this board of different flags uh, from around the world. So there's some that are across um, Africa, some across Asia, South Asia, uh, Europe, etc., North America. And then you have to match up the slang terminology for the, against the map have to guess where the different and they, they exist across across the world because like you said like it's easier for someone to feel as if they can say uh, like a secretive word yeah. or something that makes them feel comfortable um than actually saying the word periods and that in itself again just me- moves or really just exemplifies that periods themselves we're just not allowed to speak about them and we we attribute that to again um something because we see it very much as the the dominated issues are very much male heavy in society like I hate to jump on the buzzword of patriarchal at the moment but that's what we we really Mm -hmm. do believe like if it was male health related issues for example biggest one being condoms are free and we've had to campaign our hearts out or menstrual products being freely available whereas it's a choice to have sex it isn't a choice to have a period
0: yeah Um,
1: i think at every level from a very young age women and girls female people are made to feel like issues that they go through are secondary to their male counterparts don't get me wrong there's some really big similarities between a young person's experience whether they're born male or female in many ways but simultaneously like the way that young women and girls develop is very different and if you even in an internal physical level, but an emotional level too. And then if you look at the wider add-ons that society brings into the scenario, women and girls and and female people are almost punished as a result of this experience that they go through. if we weren't, and why don't these adverts with the blue liquid on maxi pads, why wouldn't it be red? like... One of my favorite. So true, yeah. So true. Like one of my favorite activists and comedians, writers Dame Baptiste, like does this amazing sketch on, like why is it when them are happy to talk about violence and blood and in a situation, but when they're talking about getting with the girl and they found out that she was on her period, they freak out. So, like, yeah. What is? Why does that happen? And again, it just for us, it definitely comes back down to sex-based inequalities that are really perpetuated. From a very young age but you know even top down from this idea that systemically we are governed by what men want and how they want it so that for us is something we really try and um we really try and bring out of the young people that we work with we we ask them to really question like because a lot of them as well as you can imagine at the ages of like 13 14 when you've got some like older people standing in front of them saying girls you can talk to us about your periods like tell us about this experience they half of them will like yeah really do freeze yeah yeah. half yeah exactly they freeze and they just say no it's private I don't want to and which we completely respect as well but I think even having those initial conversations by saying it is okay to talk about your period in a way that is completely comfortable to you even that opening a door of some form is important otherwise anything else that we always and we always caveat this with anything else that you're experiencing that is health related or mental health related, the likelihood is that they're not going to want to talk up, speak up about it. And that is a problem. And it's exactly the same for issues that our beautiful babies in East Africa are dealing with, as well as the girls that we work with back here. And, you know, the one thing that I'm so proud of, of our projects as well, is that they we offer what we call a pal scheme. So, girls in Uganda write letters to the girls back here and they share their experiences a period oh
0: wow yeah I love stuff like that yeah it's a real
1: me too right? it's a real empowerment and um, confidence boosting activity that we really embedded because it's shared stories bring solidarity and there is nothing stronger than solidarity and sisterhood um and like I said because a lot of the time, and you know, as a woman, I, fit, I felt this when I was younger, even though I'm one of the confident ones who, like you, was I'm fine to say period because my mum always made me feel like I could say the word period. I also went to an all-girls school, so that was another reason why I wasn't that embarrassed. But a lot of my friends... Same. Yeah, so that's a good thing. But um, a lot of my friends wouldn't have felt like that. And we really want to be able to champion the experience of women and girls and female people because that is unique and it's beautiful and it's not spoken about enough.
0: I also love how you can kind of see this difference or similarities between Kenya and here as well, where Mm -hmm. most people would think, okay, it's going to be much harder in Kenya for people to be talking about periods and to be getting those products. But when you see that same issue is still prevalent in the UK you can see how much patriarchy is, like, dominating our society. I
1: entirely agree. It's something that we've been trying to, like, to try and add on to the notion of our period poverty campaign for a while now, that wherever there is, like, male dominance across industries that affect female health, female health will not be a priority. Like, we're really, really proud of a few projects I'm running at the moment that are that combine sort of canvassing men and people who don't menstruate about their understanding of menstruation um, and specifically for industries that are top heavy in male management or male decision makers and bottom heavy in female frontline workers or staff and we want to understand basically what what is available to the women on the ground to support their periods especially for industries that are very kind of uh, labor intensive for women so a lot of like sort of catering industries clean industries like what are the provisions available for them to sort of support their periods especially when the decision makers are male heavy like we said yeah um, but don't have any clue what periods are so we yeah we're really pushing this notion this year that education at all levels not just for young people to feel empowered but for, like across society and in different industries in different sectors understanding what it is to have a period and what that really means not just the two sentences that we get in the UK curriculum what does a period entail because especially when women get older and women come off contraception going through perimenopause there's a whole realm of symptoms women should not feel like they're being punished for that or not be able to be supported for that you wouldn't expect And any other type of health issue or or physical potential disabilities to be an issue when at work. Like, we need to produce an, an inclusive space for women and girls at all levels so yeah watch our watch our projects that are coming up to address those issues.
0: That is great I've actually seen so many people say that they don't want to be doing a labour intensive work or field work because of this issue like oh if I start yeah. on the field if I start my period on the field what's going to happen yeah. I mean even um, some of the field trips that I've been in because field trips is a major part of my degree of course starting on the field is just so annoying and then you start getting the cramps as well and then there's no like toilet nearby so you can really see the gaps when it comes to supporting females and the processes that they experience exactly I totally agree with you I think and
1: that's something when you look at the education side it's so directly linked with the stigmas because I think there was um, a really good piece of research that came out recently that was talking about how women do feel when they're at work and so many have said that they would rather say that they've got had food poisoning yeah. and needing to go home because of that than actually admit to having an issue related to their period because it was just too difficult for them to say, yeah, I've had a period related issue and, and so if you were on a field trip or something and you were to say, no, I'm going to have to go to the toilet or if you add in the lack of education for you as an individual, obviously I'm just speaking like you plurally generally, women and girls don't track their periods yeah. or recognize the specific symptoms so what we're looking at is you could be borderline prepared for the field trip as an example to either rearrange it to be prepared with products to be prepared with their pain relief and so yeah. on but a lot of that time because it's such an unspoken issue already people don't feel prepared or empowered to navigate their lives mindful of the fact that this is a monthly occurrence with all the extra annoyances that it brings yeah so we really want to be able to normalise periods so much that doesn't infiltrate in opportunities and emotional well-being of anybody who has a period.
0: Would you also say that stigmas around periods or just the female body is also because women aren't kind of encouraged to explore their bodies or to actually find out about their bodies? For example, so many wrongly call the vulva, the vagina. Mm. Or um, I started my period when I was... Eleven, so about to be twelve, and I thought that that was so wrong. Aww. Like, how could I be starting so early compared to some of my friends that started in year eight? So when they're like fourteen, I'll or get Because I started at age
1: two. I was eleven. I was in year seven, about to turn. No, wait,
0: year eight, about to turn twelve. And if anyone in primary school found out you had a period or you started your period, everyone would just kind of make fun of it, especially the guys. No, I know, I know. It, it's so. It's so depressing when you really think about it, and I just.
1: hate this idea that there's so many people suffering in silence. Yeah, It's really, yeah, sad.
0: Yeah, so it's like, when I started, I started crying because I was like, what's happening to my body? I don't... I've heard about it in um, sex education at school, but I still don't understand it.
1: That is so sad.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's just... It's crazy how women don't know a lot about their bodies. And, like, Mm. I'm still learning about it, and I'm 20. So you can think how an 11 year old would kind of feel yeah well I'm in my 30s and I still don't know enough about my body yeah
1: because it's just this is anything that I do now is Mm self-research and out of passion for Mm -hmm. ensuring that other women and girls don't feel as awful as I do for different things so I've had so many friends go through so many different health related issues of linked to their hormones um it's that's what a big thing for me that's a big passion for me our hormonal health is not spoken about Like, right? yeah we don't really I think I, I agree with you entirely that exploring our bodies is a big thing um, and I feel like a lot of that does come under sort of sexual health remit but then understanding for me personally our hormonal cycles is really key because it really does impact so many parts of our lives including our mental health our decision making as a part of our cycle that we have more of a stronger creative brain and I'm more motivated elements like diet plans, uh, PT schedules and like doing uh, fitness as women and girls, especially when your, your hormonal cycles normalize, for example, say if you're coming off the contraceptive pill in your mid to late twenties or whatever, learning about what works for you and what your month looks like. is so important to actually feel in control of decisions that you're making and and also not feel like I didn't see this coming because when you're much younger from your teens upwards, your cycle isn't um not only do you have more energy but your cycle isn't stable as much so you women and girls again they almost punish themselves because it's this idea that we're supposed to show up consistently as men do all the time every day and it's it's not a reality for us there will be you know you could be one of the really lucky ones that has a very stable uh, peaks and spots with the different the way the different hormones interact but so many women experience hormone imbalance and that looks different depending for their different issues different individual genetic issues or, or other environmental factors the fact that we don't have that knowledge or we're not encouraged to have that knowledge is really frustrating in my opinion and um, i've had to really self-learn a lot of that stuff and going through my own health issues to then look at how does that impact with my hormones and then seeing that reflected in so many of my other friends experiences as well it's very very simple things but I guarantee that when you go to your doctor as a woman or girl and you present yourself with xyz symptoms they will not look at your hormones as a as an issue in the in the first instance they will never say well actually let me consider yeah. doing hormone samples for the day one day five and day 28 of your cycle it just wouldn't wouldn't be something that they that their f- first forethought, for and even when if I tell you Rita, one of my health issues started when I missed uh, two years of having periods oh god and they they didn't ever check yeah they didn't ever ever check the hormones so luckily that's crazy so crazy um and I, I know I'm not isolated in this like there's no I know I'm not like luckily for you know the good sides of social media and and the, activism that happens on instagram is so provides so much more information and a community of people that go through this so like i said i know i'm not alone on that but it shouldn't take people uh, to experience really difficult times to or or even just have to really forcibly advocate for themselves before their gp for this to be taken seriously this should be dealt with as an as an issue for females everywhere as opposed to so, well, how would you know like we said before like patriarchy governing all levels of, of systems and, and organizational structures filtering down in healthcare it's happening if it didn't why aren't our hormones being checked as regularly
0: if our healthcare systems aren't even aware of what a female body can go through then you, you can't really see how you know these healthcare systems can help us you kind of start feeling helpless in a sense definitely i would
1: yeah i mean again i can speak from personal experience definitely feel helpless you because if they're not looking at all things that could be available wrong to someone who's female that means that they are giving you answers that aren't correct so and you know like I said with the Instagram communities that I've come across with different networks of people who have similar health issues like They'll go back and forward and back and forward. Is it a thyroid issue? Is it I don't know, stress related? This the term psychosomatic became so synonymous with me just appearing at a doctor's place and them telling me, "Ah, oh, don't you think you're stressed?" And I'm like, "I'm an intelligent person. I can understand my body. Please, yeah, just please do some investigations." And not one, not once was it a female hormonal health related uh, investigation.
0: Yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah. Obviously Freedom for Girls has done so much work you've already told me so much about it but could you kind of give some of the main achievements that the charity has made so far maybe some success stories of girls that you've worked with whether in Kenya or the UK and what else does the charity want to achieve? We have achieved so much I'm so
1: proud of our little team and I want to actually give us a little shout out because all of us do this around other full-time and part-time jobs like none of us our uh, like staff. Okay. We don't we do this as volunteers um around other commitments, personal and professional. So to achieve what we have, like we should be really giving ourselves a pat on the back. So big shout out to my teammates, Tina, Shona and Leslie and everyone else that supports us. And in terms of success stories, um also you know like our core business, what we really are proud of is not just the product provision element of our work where we are donating thousands of packs, especially during the lockdown. Um, mid-pandemic we were donating like thousand like four thousand within the space of a month of, of products um wow. yeah so really understanding the landscape in which we work as a grassroots charity was really important to us um the education program so proud of my colleagues Lucy and Chloe who've helped develop what we started last year um because we really do go the extra mile we don't make like, everything that you said agrees to in terms of what is important to focus on in terms of the science and the biology of what we go through but we the empowerment element and the confidence building element is as important for us. And the activities that we've developed to really engage young people to feel that. I'm so proud of it. It's, it's really unique um, and we, we love delivering it. And then the the passion that comes from my colleague Shona who does all the selling workshops. We are as passionate about choice in terms of our philosophy of products. We appreciate that not everybody is able to work around reusable uh, washable menstrual products but for those who are environmentally friendly plastic and chemical free and economically viable are our our driver we want you know we're in an, an era now where climate change is very real and contributing towards like environmentally friendly periods are really also a big part of that and the fact that periods have been commoditized to these plastic disposable products you know throughout my lifetime Everything things are starting to move in the direction of of what we champion, and to do that, we run sewing workshops in the community where we create washable, reusable pads. They cost between seven and nine pounds. They last you for over three years, and they are donated to some of our most in need beneficiaries. Um, That in itself for us is an achievement because, like I said, if you look if you look at us as a team as volunteers, giving us spare time and yet being able to rally our community together in Leeds, create these products and for people to buy into the notion that reassessing their way of dealing with their periods is an important thing to do, not for themselves, but for the greater good, that, that is something that we really do, like I said, I was on the back for. And then if we look at the wider campaign that we do, like we are really proud to have been involved in the department of education's task force where they eventually provided free products in schools at the beginning of this year and there's been you know ongoing achievements Tina's got some awards I've had some small awards um, amazing for, yeah for contributions just to not just the period poverty world but also just as grassroots activists like it's been so important for us to maintain that level like I'm not from Leeds but Leeds is my home and my heart and being able to give back to different groups there because we are such a diverse city like the representation that we have across the whole city with different groups of women with different needs different backgrounds different health needs like yeah we always want to represent those groups those groups and are happy and privileged to work with so many of the support agencies directly engage our beneficiaries so that in itself for us is an achievement Did you ask me for a success story? Yeah. One of my favourite from the groups that I worked with in Uganda was um, a young woman who she'd had to drop out of school. She was 15 because in Uganda, you you have to pay to access any level of education. And she, um, yeah, she had to drop out. She was 15. She was essentially going to be scouted for a, I think it was a football or basketball scholarship from a college further education institution um, in the capital and get had to drop out of school completely because she couldn't afford products so when we worked with her we not only encouraged her through the product donation from the time workshops that we run in Kenya to stay on board um, but also to work with us to feel confident and we developed her as an ambassador so she was then working on how to encourage younger people to engage with people that they trust about their periods and, and how to manage their periods and she was actually this was such a heartwarming thing last year when she was showing girls how to put a uh, one of the reusable pads onto a pair of knickers so they understood it because the, the products that we create in Kenya are two parts so they're not just like the typical winged and you put it on you go like you have to put the winged bit on then you have to put the liner inside the wing fit um
0: okay. yeah it's
1: just for again sake of ease out there was successful she stayed in school um from the uh donations that were given and developed herself as a young leader in this ambassador program that freedom for girls had run and then was successful in her scholarship so
0: that was a that's amazing yeah
1: that was a really heartwarming one for me but honestly there's so many like if you if anyone is ever privileged enough to meet tina and the story that she tells about the work her work not only in kenya and with her team there but also in the UK, we've had some really difficult, really difficult and complex cases come through lockdown, especially with women who are needing access to products, who are living in, are on the poverty line, um, and have had contracted COVID and needing support. Like there's some been some really challenging times for us. Um but the 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 kind of and it's we don't need this or ever ask for it, but the gratitude that people show us because Again, periods are really hard things to go through. So if you combine that with, you know, living in poverty, living in really close proximity with people who had the virus at that time, yeah. different emotional mental health issues. Some women that we work with are homeless, some of them are fleeing domestic violence to move into a refuge. If you combine all of that with also getting your periods, it can be horrendous. So the fact that we're there mm-hmm. as a not just someone to drop off products for them, but as a listening ear, like oh, I've had really bad pains this week and I just really didn't need that and blah, blah, blah. And again, like I mentioned before, like the solidarity that women should be like encouraged to feel between each other for this experience that we go through. is so unique. That is so important as well. Um, that for us is, is part of the success story too, that we are normalising that conversation.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you about as well. It must have been so hard for women in the pandemic, um, especially those that are furloughed and don't have that source of income or it's not strong enough to be providing them with food, let alone sanitary products. So do you think that um, the use of the products that you donate to people has increased because of the pandemic? Yeah,
1: it it has. Um, if we look at our statistics from even before the lockdown, so we're looking at the end of our financial year twenty nineteen twenty twenty, we were donating roughly between seven hundred and nine hundred to a thousand packs on probably uh, like a two month basis, and and then we got into the pandemic, and at the height of the pandemic, sort of during April and build up to Easter. We donated just in the space of April and May seven thousand products. Oh
0: gosh, yeah, the products.
1: Yeah, not just an in individual, but packs of products. Um, and we know as well that there's some research. The report I mentioned before from Plan International, who's kind of spearheaded a lot of the research around young women and girls, so girls aged between fourteen to twenty one. Um, looking at what what care poverty means to them, we know that from two thousand and seventeen, the report, looked, the data showed one in ten girls had been missing school or in a position where they weren't able to afford period products the data from the studies that were done in may from the same number and the same and similar demographics of girls was three in ten so we know that the um there's been a, an increase in in people experiencing period poverty because there was a result of the pandemic yeah and we always say now as well like 80 percent of or 85% probably of the donations that we are making are to adult women and the women's groups that support them because we all, like we know this from experience ourselves, but also on the ground that if you are an adult woman and you are getting your period and you yourself can't afford products or you're getting free products and you have daughters, you are going to pass them to your daughters. Of course, yeah. And it's always mothers that make the sacrifices and we've got that in um, anecdotal and qualitative data as well from people that we work with. So, The problem is so much larger than than the dominant research is showing.
0: Yeah, I mean, for any sort of issue that's affecting women, especially mothers, you can always see that the mothers are going to be sacrificing. And for periods, you can't sacrifice. Maybe you can cut down on how much food you have or things like that. But for a period, if you're bleeding, you're bleeding. You can't be sharing a pad or you can't be reducing how many pads you use or if you're using a a reusable one. You know, you need to have that there. Um, Yeah, so it's really sad to see how women, especially mothers, are having to sacrifice for things that they can't sacrifice.
1: Yeah, we totally agree. And um, for us, there's probably, because a lot of the campaigning has gone into the education side of it, and typically, obviously, you know, from that being from girls for sort of high school, age 11 onwards like the campaign has been focused around their needs quite rightly but it does mean that there is again a gap in data and the attention within the movement of older women and the sacrifices they have to make their experiences themselves everything that goes into I mentioned before the development of the the symptoms you can experience around your periods if you also um, have additional health issues that become more obvious or or prevalent when you're of a certain age Um, so, yeah, there's a lot more work to be done. There's a lot more advocacy and awareness raising needed for adult women. Um, and Freedom for Girls are going to keep yeah, pushing that as much as we can.
0: How do women that are wanting to access your products, how can they get them? So can you get them from your website or could anyone call up? So our website has um, a donation uh, request page.
1: Okay. But we don't have, uh, as we all volunteers, we don't have like an office line. Um, so a website is usually best. Um, there's a contact us page. So if you wanted to talk about more than just um, access to products and anything else that we offer, send us an email on the website, just freedomforgirls.co.uk. Um, We we also encourage support agencies that are dealing directly with women who, for example, if you are a support agency that looks at mental health needs of women that are going through domestic violence, typically you're also offering them food parcels because a lot of those women are living in poverty and within the food parcel we will be donating products to them. So you can either contact us if you are a support agency or someone doing community based work with different groups of women or if you're an individual.
0: Amazing. In terms of the sustainability side of things, um, I'm very guilty in using the disposable period pads. I haven't kind of gotten used to the whole reusable thing. Yeah. Um. So do you kind of help people um in using reusable sanitary products and kind of getting used to it because this whole process of washing something that's bloody... Yes. <laughs> it's obviously it's not it's not great for everyone or you kind of need to get used to it so how do you normalize it
1: um I love that you've mentioned that because I'm actually someone that's quite naive to um like bodily fluids so stuff like that just doesn't really gross me out Mm -hmm. but then when we speak to most people and this is again a survey that we did in our education program last year like how would you feel washing this out and the girls in Uganda were like I remember standing in front of the classroom and them saying you popped it and I'm thinking why is this a weird thing? <laughs> yeah, a lot of a lot. I totally get that. So a lot of people uh, have commented on that actually. And so what we do again, it's a com- it's a combined approach. We we talk about the different ways that you can clean the products that are comfortable for you um and we also talk about just completely removing any of the the incorrect or distressing narrative around periods like they are completely safe um that your ministry is completely safe you just need to wash your hands after you do that yeah even and this is the worst case scenario we've worked with women who are in slums in Kenya and who've been unable to access running water on occasion and they they have our cups and so what they do instead is that they just and this is going to grow some people even more but they actually to urinate on the cups because it's self-cleaning silicone oh, okay. and that itself is enough to remove any issues around bacteria um, and, and problems with the cup so yeah it's again it's for us it's much more about normalizing and going back to that comment you made earlier about getting used to your body
0: like
1: mm-hmm. yeah that that is a big part and parcel of the process so the other side of it is you know lucky enough to be in the west or if you're in an area with a washing machine literally shove it in the washing machine <laughs> you can't go around like shove yeah. your underwear or shove your menstrual um, pads that are reusable washable in the washing machine if they'll come out they'll be fine like you don't need to think about that at all uh, that's how I got used to it anyway because I am not a menstrual cut person um uh, I've not managed to try it but I have really difficult periods. Um yeah. And but knickers and uh, the pads for me work an absolute treat. So and you can yeah, I know like I said, I'm not a squeamish person, but <laughs> but even my sister attributes to them now as well. So I'm sure we can convince more people. Yeah,
0: I mean it just shows how we've kind of seen periods as really dirty, uh you know, it's just yeah. like oh it's blood, so it's bad you know you don't want to touch it yeah. it's smelly it's like we try to pick out all the bad stuff about it when there is nothing wrong
1: yeah I totally agree with that and it's almost like we convince ourselves that we're supposed to be grossed out by it like coming back yeah like coming back to your point about being at school where someone got their period and they weren't in, and they were in private like oh stay away from them why like what is it that has made you feel that this is not something that's normal what like because it can't be the blood like we talk don't get me wrong like I recognize that people ask pretty much around blood generally like a lot of people won't, don't want to watch those A&E programs a lot of people won't want to watch a gore film like blood isn't that nice however this is the most normal form of blood like it is something that it, there's life like there's nothing wrong with it at all so yeah I, I do feel there's an element that we have that it we almost conditioned at a very young age to believe that it's disgusting rather than actually critically analyzing is it is if we did we'd be like oh I get it <laughs> like it's normal that's it so yeah I think we just need to be better be- better at that, having that conversation
0: yeah and just kind of forgetting that is all part of the menstrual cycle and it's not unnecessary yeah. Um, if you talk about like horror films and people actually liking seeing people, <laughs> like, murder people or something, that's yes. all unnecessary. But yeah. this blood is is important. Yeah,
1: this for me the the artist does a really has a really good end piece that is um, a picture of a guy just munching on his popcorn looking at a gore film. Like I think it's even like quite a realistic. Yeah, I something you know like this is a historic film um and there's just you know go everywhere and then they see I mentioned the men and the man sees a mental pad on TV and he's like oh my god
0: and totally <laughs> freaks out spills so his popcorn everywhere
1: literally um and it, yeah literally so yeah minimal funny. <laughs>
0: Um, to kind of wrap up everything what is the overall message that Freedom for Girls wants to deliver and what are the key steps that individuals can take to help reduce or even eliminate period poverty? Um, our overall message is just what I kind of chopped on about this entire uh, podcast
1: which is like please don't be scared of your periods and please help other people where possible to not be scared of their periods either. They are so normal, and if we don't start to encourage the conversation around around them being just a standard thing, you know, British people love to talk about the weather. Like we are so, you know, we'll, we'll moan about when it's cold and we'll moan about when it's too hot. Like theories <laughs> themselves should be that normal too. And yeah. we we really want the next generation, like this move of, and this wave of feminism now, we want the next generation to really not have to be advocating for this normal, this new normal, where something that is akin to being female is shamed um and you know if you look at some of the really awful cases around the world there's, there was a young woman uh, who committed suicide last year in to the one year anniversary actually because uh, she had stained um her period blood had gone onto a school skirt and she'd stained a skirt and uh, she was shamed by her teacher and school mates um for doing that and so that was a huge tragedy and you know there's some women who have been um banished to what they call menstrual huts in certain parts of the world when they periods and have died from either freezing starving or smoke inhalation so again you know we should be unapologetic about this like men just need to get used to the fact that it's something that we can't help like there's so many disgusting things that men do internally in terms of lad behavior that women just turn and eye like you know either get involved with or just ignore completely and yet you know for this issue we are being forced to hold like to have it as an experience in secret and that just that really needs to change because for us there's bigger systemic inequalities, sex based inequalities at play and if menstruation is going to continue to be one of those things it means that the overall conversation about sex based equality is never going to achieve what it needs to there's all is going to be this issue that women who want to get pregnant should be demoted for whatever reason or not progressed for, for the same reason. Um, it, it is all part and parcel of the same thing. So, yeah. yeah, in terms of helping period poverty generally, like we said, the definition is the product, it's the stigma, it's the education. Like, I think always, remember that moving forward. Like, don't be scared of your periods, don't be ashamed of them, don't feel like you have to sing from the rooftops about it. Like, I want to be everyone's advocate, but that's not for everybody. Just make sure that you know that you can talk to someone who you trust about it mm. and encourage almost other people to do the same because the more it becomes the norm, the less will be these circumstances in which people are punished or punish themselves for it. We've got some amazing projects coming up that we'd, I'd love people to get involved with, particularly around the, the racial injustices that happen across female healthcare. Um, that project is called Black Women's Mental Health and we're looking at supporting women um, women and girls from African or Caribbean heritage to understand how they are able to advocate for themselves in front of healthcare professionals better, um, as well as raising awareness um, amongst healthcare professionals in terms of the their own unconscious biases and how they deal with with black women and girls and the issues that they go through. There's a lot of evidence, and we're hopefully going to contribute some of that evidence by doing some surveys and focus groups in terms of why it is that black women are treated differently in health, in health and particularly for us, the mental health. Yeah. Um, and then for anybody who wants to really... You know, contribute to us on an education level and an empowerment level. The project that I'm really proud of that I'm running alongside my colleague Esther is the what advice would you give to your younger self? And it's a letters project. So
0: yes. I'm going to be joining that as well. I'm going to be sending over a letter. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. I'm so
1: pleased. I'm so pleased. So it's ultimately it is me as a 32 year old woman can I remember a point in my life where I would want what I know now and who I am as a woman now to have be been my own best friend at that time like mm-hmm. and if that is if if I can find that person of me which I know I can having gone through different things like what advice would I give them so I'm going to write a letter to that version of Victoria and I'm going to tell her what she needs to hear what she should do and how she should feel um and we're not only going to incorporate that in our education sessions we're also going to put it together in this gorgeous book with some of the letters from the girls from Uganda, from Kenya, from our education programme here, some artwork from some of our amazing feminist activist artists who have worked and supported us from back in the day. And um, yeah make it into a book so that we can scream much more about this issue and also do a bit of fundraising to continue the work that freedom for girls and other grassroots charities are doing around the very real but awful issue of period
0: poverty please let us know when the book comes out because i'm going to be the first one to buy it <laughs>
1: ah, brilliant and i expect your letter in there as well, like, yeah so. definitely brilliant
0: yeah Thank you so much, Victoria, for coming on. And you know, you have such a busy schedule, I can imagine. So, thank you for taking out some of your time to come out here and talk about period poverty and how periods and not talking about them is essentially just contributing to gender inequality, female inequality.
1: Perfect. Yeah. Now,
0: thank you so much for having
1: us, and it's my absolute pleasure. And everything that you're doing as well, just to kind of put us on a platform and utilize your platform is so important too. So thank you and and hats off to you too
0: such an informative and super engaging episode i've been wanting to discuss period poverty as long as i've been running this podcast so this episode was really special for me to participate in the letters project and to find out more ways in which you can support freedom for girls in their work head over to my website mindfulofeverything.home.blog Remember to subscribe to the newsletter and the podcast on your favourite podcast apps. Connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and Pinterest. You can also support Mindful of Everything through purchasing my fully recycled acrylic pin badges from my website and leaving reviews for the show. Stay positive, stay safe and until the next episode, happy listening.